Welcome. We're so glad you've tuned in to the weekly sermon podcast of Victory Church Philadelphia, a dynamic multicultural church near Valley Forge. We want to welcome you into an experience with God and the care of His family, and we believe this message will be a blessing to you. Morning. So awesome to be here with you guys today. I am Jacob Curlin. I'm the youth pastor here at Victory Church, and I wow, thank you. <laughs> See, I have. All right, you earned your $20. I'll get that to you later. Um, <clears throat> I, I just want to start off first off by, I, I just want to thank Pastor Ed. I, I want to thank him for the opportunity to speak here today. I want to thank him for investing in me as, a, uh, as just an individual and giving me insight on the passage we're even going to read today. I want to thank him for his selfless heart for this area. I want to thank him for his heart after this church. I want to thank him for just being an incredible leader. Can we all thank him together for just having such a great pastor? Thank you, Pastor Ed. I, I so appreciate you. And, um, and I, 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 it's funny because he mentioned that I think I'm, I'm funnier than him. And I, that's just not true. We know that you're funnier than I am. I know that. Um, I actually have had a few people tell me, um, like when I get up here, that I, I speak like I, would, I was speaking to younger individuals. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But today we're going to get really serious, all right? So in getting serious, I understand that some of us might feel uncomfortable. So we're going to open up with a little bit of fun. All right, and then we're going to get to the serious stuff. But today, we're going to have a little bit of fun. So I'm going to have it be a little interactive because I like interacting, all right? So I'm going to have you look to your neighbor in a moment, and I'm going to have you ask this question, where's your treasure? And don't do it yet because I'm going to give you a couple of options in saying this, all right? You're going to be able to either just say it straight out, like where's your treasure, or you can have fun today. And you can use a pirate voice, all right? So you don't have to, all right? You don't have to use a pirate voice, but it's a lot of fun. And if we were in youth, obviously I'd say you're saying it in a pirate voice, but today you don't have to, all right? But I'm going to give you in, in a few seconds, actually, let's just do it right now. Look to your neighbor and say, where's your treasure? <laughs> See, I, I love this. I love this because, well, first off, there's some of you that are like, I am not saying that today. I'm not even saying it because you're ridiculous. No, that's fine. All right, If you're an introvert, that's fine. You, can, you, you didn't have to say it. But I am surprised. I'm overwhelmed. When I was putting this together, I was like, they're going to all look at me like I'm an idiot and not, like, not saying. And you're all saying it in this pirate voice, so I'm very proud of you. This also tells me that there are quite a few Pentecostals in the room. And why, why it tells me that is because Pentecostals aren't afraid to get a little bit weird. So you guys, <laughs> you guys ready to get weird today? Because <laughs> we're going to get it. <laughs> get at it. All right. So there's this island in Canada, all right? And trust me, by the way, this gets somewhere, all right? Well, I'm not just like, you know, putting out this weird stuff just to put out weird stuff because I'm a youth pastor. But there's this island in Canada called Oak Island. And where there, there's a, this legend that there's this man-made pit where real-life treasure was buried by a nefarious pirate named Captain Kidd. 
And so treasure hunters from all over have sought for centuries to gain access to this pit and where their treasure is allegedly buried. And so, but it's all booby trapped. So if they open up, if they if they start digging, there's all these like um, inlets of water that will fill up. And so no one's ever been able to access this treasure. And so to this day, there's this vast treasure that's buried on this island. And um, and when I was a stories like this, they keep people going to those kind of places, like tourists going to Oak Island, or people watching movies like Pirates of the Caribbean, or, or and things like that. We all we all love the idea of finding buried treasure. It piques our interest. Is that safe to say? Okay, like one of you thinks that's safe to say. The rest of you are like, I already shut off because he told me to talk like a pirate. So, but no, like we all think it's really interesting. Like it, how amazing would it be to find a treasure map and be able to just go out and, and find a buried treasure? That would be pretty amazing just to find some random buried treasure somewhere. But unfortunately, it doesn't usually work like that. We only hear stories about that that kind of get us excited. So my brothers and I, when we were younger, we had, uh, we had loved the idea of this. Like anytime we'd pass by a weird tree or, or see something that looked like a, a monument from the movie Goonies. Anybody remember Goonies? Like, you're like, you get like, I would get excited. I'd make a mental note. Like I'm going to go over there and I'm going to dig up a treasure and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be one-eyed willy, you know? And, and, and I thought, you know, that, that, that would be the case. But, um, I never found buried treasure. So my brothers and I, we decided that we would go out and start digging up treasure wherever we could find it. But unfortunately, a lot of the times when we'd start digging, we'd find things that we didn't want to find, like my math book that I'd buried underneath there, or like my mom's homemade pizza, which was disgusting. I'm sorry, mom, if you're live streaming, but it is, you, you gotta understand, it's gross, okay? Your pizza was gross. So, <laughs> sorry, mom. <laughs> Um, but or like broken toys that we'd like bury of my siblings or, or, or things like that. Like we'd find it. So we decided, you know what? We're not digging deep enough. All right. We felt like if we dug deep enough and dug a big enough pit, we would find something of value. So my brother and I, and this is God's honest truth, we dug an eight-foot hole in my parents' backyard, okay? So I looked this up. I had to look it up because uh, I, I have to paint this picture for you. So we lived in this house, this city house in Syracuse that had 400 square feet of uh, land in the backyard. So that is 0.0091824 of an acre. So, I, um, so eight feet was about um, like three-fourths of the backyard, all right? So we had dug this pit, and we're just digging and digging, like nothing. We're finding out, and my mom comes running out, and she's like, what are you, what are you doing? And I'm like, digging a hole. <laughs> Come on, mom. <laughs> Luckily, she didn't know that we had already gotten to the front yard and uh, <laughs> dug that up. So... Uh, <laughs> It was a wonder we didn't hit a gas line or a sewer pipe. And no joke, grass didn't grow in our yard for like three years after that. It was a blight on the neighborhood. And was, we were already, we were already in, in bad shape anyways because we had 11 people trying to cram into a three-bedroom house. And it just didn't, it didn't quite work out. And we just compounded the problem by digging our treasure pit. And we never found 
buried treasure, but we did get really good at filling those holes back up before dad got home, because otherwise <laughs> you're, in, you're in trouble. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The trauma, the trauma. All right, so I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 12. Look in your Bibles to Luke 12, and I think we have to admit to ourselves today that most of us are treasure hunters in some way, shape, or form. And as we take a closer look at this passage, I think some of us may be filling dirt back into some of those deep, empty treasure pits we've been digging for years. And that's my prayer today. In this passage, Jesus is teaching about money and possessions. And I realize talking about money and possessions is never comfortable, like, ever. So I understand that no matter where you are, whatever level you are, as far as your, uh, your wealth is concerned, wherever you are on the wealth chart, you're going to feel some level of unease. So let's take a deep breath. And trust me, you're going to be okay. Don't miss this opportunity. All right? Our typical response to discomfort is movement. And as Christians, we want to be moving people, right? So look to your neighbor and say, it's okay. Jesus is with you. Okay, Jesus. <laughs> you st- Pastor Ed still got the pirate voice down, so <laughs> still going with that. <laughs> He's committed. And if, uh, listen, if that doesn't work, we can all switch seats later. Don't have to. But we're looking at last week, we, we're looking at this passage in, in Luke 12. And last week, Pastor Ed preached an amazing passage prior to the one we're looking at today. It is God's pleasure to give you the kingdom. And that's a super profound message, but what does it look like? Once we get the keys to the kingdom, what do we do with them? To be honest, receiving the keys to the kingdom is a, is a bit frightening to me because what if I screw up? What if I don't match or or measure up? Or what if he takes the keys back? What if I'm never offered the keys again? Because it starts with the responsibility. It starts with the responsibility of changing the condition of our hearts. It starts with disciplining ourselves. To fully understand this passage today, we have to see God's, Jesus' theme of hearts in this passage. He's talking about our hearts so much. And the start of Luke 12, and and we want to get to that, we want to get to this because we want to get to the core of today's message, which is our heart as well. And so let's take a look at, at what he's talking about before. In the beginning of Luke 12, Jesus talks about a fearful heart. And when we fear people or just live in fear in general, we start to hide things. We start to hide what, and, and this leads to hypocrisy because we start to hide what we think people won't like in us. We start to think that, well, that's our faith. People aren't going to like that we're Christians, so we start to hide that. We start to let our, we hide it under a bushel. Remember that song as a kid? We hide our faith, and we assume that people are going to be upset with it. We stop depending on the Holy Spirit, and this silences our witness and blocks us from a greater encounter of more of Jesus in our lives. And Jesus encourages us not to have a fearful heart. But later, and we talked about it last week, is Jesus talks to us about a greedy heart. Imagine being so greedy that in the middle of a sermon, you interrupt the pastor speaking just to ask him how you you need help to get more money. And that's what happens in this passage. And 
listen, let me, let me state this by saying we all need a certain amount of money to live. That's true. But money can never guarantee security. It never can. If anything, it creates a false confidence that leads to failure. And Jesus teaches us not to have a greedy heart, but finally Jesus moves on to the passage that we'll be reading from today, and it shines a light on a trap that's so easy for all of us to fall into, yet claim doesn't affect any of us at all, and that is a divided heart. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, divided hearts. Where I'd like for us to journey today is to understanding that, yes, we have all treasures, and yes, most of which can be good, but can we agree that even good things can become idols? Let's agree that together. Let's pray, and, uh, and, and let's let the Lord's word come alive to us today. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence today. God, help us to walk away changed people. Help us to get more of you today. Open up our hearts and our ears and our minds to what you have to say. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we'll be starting from verse 22, and this is what it says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear, for your life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you... By worrying can add a single hour to your life. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire, how much will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows what, that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that it will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. There is no thief where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't you just love God's word? It's, it's amazing how much power and wisdom can just be packed in such a small part of this. This is why our God is so great. And I have to be honest, this isn't an easy passage to uh, unpack in one session because there is so much here. However, I do think it's pretty easy for us to gloss over and miss some of the key elements of this, the the power that this passage contains in its entirety. I once heard a a youth pastor at a camp uh, years and years and years ago preach a sermon on uh, on this very passage titled, Don't Be Anxious, end of story. And so he kept saying it over and over and over again. Don't be anxious, end of story. Don't be anxious, end of story. And he, and he stopped, like he just read the beginning of this passage and stopped there. Now, I, I don't know about you, but has, have any of you been in this like place of like pure anxiety or like this like complete like just like terrible anxiety and someone walked up to you and they were like don't be anxious end the story and you're like 
You are right. Oh my gosh. That's, I'm cured. That's all I needed was not to be anxious and the story. But that's where, that's where he was going. And listen, if that happened to you, that's likely God working a miracle in your life. But typically, this is not how it works. It doesn't work like that. And thankfully, Jesus doesn't stop with, don't be anxious. He lays out steps that we can have so we can have a less stressed life. And it starts with this radical thought that we need to adopt Christ's value system. And what I mean by that is that if we're followers of Christ, we need to obey his commands, right? Right? All right, cool, cool. We're still interactive, by the way, just so you know. And Jesus gives us a few commands in this passage, and he starts by commanding us, do not worry about your life. And wait, it goes on. But I have to say, for all you extremists out there that will argue with me, this mean, doesn't mean we drive off a, a garbage truck off the Empire State Building and say, God told me not to worry about my life. Like, no, 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 no. He's not saying be reckless with your life. But as I mentioned earlier, Jesus doesn't just command us without giving us reason. We have faith, but it isn't blind faith. It's faith based on facts. And the first fact here, don't miss this, is that you are valuable to God. You are valuable to God. Don't worry about your life because you are valuable to God. And let that be a, an encouragement and a reminder to you this morning. But if you're here this morning and this is a profound new thought or you're just not feeling it, let's say that again. Let me say that again. You are valuable to God. Maybe we ought to say that out loud. Maybe we ought to say, I am valuable to God. Let's say that together. I am valuable to God. Allow that to sink in. I'm certain that all of us in some point in our lives or even maybe even currently have dealt with this mindset that, yeah, yeah, right. Not me. I'm too messed up. But Jesus tells us over and over and over in this passage that he takes care of the small things, the overlooked things, the unclean things. I mean, in verse 24, he talks about um, the ravens, which were considered unclean, considered garbage animals, like considered nothing. They're birds, people. First off, I know that we've all made some pretty dumb uh, decisions before. I've made plenty of dumb decisions. You're like, no, 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 Pastor Jake, you're so smart. You could have. I make some bad decisions decisions, okay? I make some dumb, but I don't fly into windows and die, all right? These are birds! They're birds, and God cares about them. And then he goes on in verse 27 about weeds, essentially. He's talking about weeds, and God cares more about you than all of these things. He wants to take care of you. You are valuable to God. Get it? Yeah, all right. Amen. That's right. And these truths aren't just relegated to this passage. The whole Bible is God's love story to us, to you. Jesus said it. We ought to believe it. But as simple as that is to say, it's far more difficult to live out, especially when we don't believe it to be true or think we don't have any kind of value to offer, any real value. And I truly believe the disconnect of that kind of thinking comes when we divide our hearts and find our value in counterfeit gods. 
Our true, a true counterfeit tries to replace real money with something that's just a copy and has no value whatsoever. We, play, we replace God with things. We're clutching on to nothingness, and it's no wonder we cannot find our own value. Our own pursuits and our misplaced values can rob us of this fundamental truth. If we don't make Christ the center and find the value that's already flowing and pouring out from him for us, we will miss it. We become blocked by the pile of clothes, gadgets, careers, makeup, haircuts, cars, homes, relationships, and idols that rob us or steal us of our outgoing value and in effect make us feel worthless. Or we compare our, uh, we compare our lack of all of those things to others and miss the mark as well. Because of these things, all of these things, they can be good on their own, but they can also be where we find all of our value. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment. If we attain them, our lives will fall into place. Everything will come into place and will be so much better. If I just had more money, if I just had more land, if I just had more, if I just had more, if I just had more, all the while Jesus is telling us to find those qualities in him. If he was just more, if he was just more. Our first goal needs to be that we learn and believe in our value to God and give value back to him. You guys okay? Can we keep going? Can I go on a limb here? Your life is too loud. Your schedule is too busy. This is why we forget that God is God and provides for us. It takes very little to distract us. And our time can even be our misguided treasure. And don't misunderstand me here. Uh, we need to work. We need to have structure in our lives. But let's pause for one moment and reflect on how often God gets the back burner us because things are just too darn hectic. See, we see our true value when we realign what we value. Our God is a great God. He loves us. We are valuable to him. You are valuable to him. Amen. Have you ever uh, wished for something as a kid, like asked your parents or grandparents or family members for a certain gift when you were younger? Um, I, when I was 15, this device came out. It was called the Virtual Boy. I don't know, if anybody ever heard of that? The Virtual Boy it was a Nintendo game system. And basically what it was is it offered this virtual reality experience that essentially put you inside the game, all right? The commercials made it seem like you were teleported into this, like, gaming, like, world. And I, as an ignorant 15-year-old, got super excited and bought into the commercialism of it. And I was like, yeah, all right. I've never had a game system growing up my parents were poor, so I felt like if I could rally my family together and get them all working together, I could get them to, to buy this for me. We could find some rich uncle that was in our family tree somewhere that I knew had to exist, and we'd get this 
item. And so I started daydreaming about the fact that I'm going to get this. I'm going to get this. This is going to be so awesome. It's going to change my life. And the neighborhood kids are going to envy me. And my life is going to be happier. And I'm going to fly around in a virtual airplane. And it's going to be amazing. I was so excited about it. And then my birthday came. And I got a $9.99 hand game called Kick Up, where all you did was kick people every level. All right? You could move up and down and kick, and that was it. That was, the, that was all the game. Like, oh, I can't get in this game. I can kick my brothers, but I can't get in this. And, but the, the, the fact of the matter is, first off, uh, just to be honest, I love that game. It was awesome. But, but here's, the, here's the problem, is that with that game system, the, the, the Virtual Boy, they actually had to take it off market because there's this headset that like, kids would put on, and they were like running around rooms and stuff and smashing their faces into like walls and stuff. They had to be rushed to the ER like for stitches and everything. And then on top of it, teenagers to adults were getting migraine headaches from it. It had a warning on this that said if you were seven years or younger, you can't even use it because it would cause permanent eye damage. They actually had to pull this. This is probably why most of you don't even know this item. They had to pull it from the market because it was such a health hazard. And I actually saw, before they had pulled it, I actually saw one in a, in a video game store, and I decided I'm going to just see like what I'm missing, you know, and, and played it for like three minutes and had one of the worst headaches I've ever had in my life life. And, and, and listen, I, what am I saying here? Was it my desire to have a virtual boy wrong? No. Are all video games evil? Some parents are like, please, please say yes, please say yes. <laughs> no. No, I'm not saying that. It would have been a, um, a much better story if I actually received the darn thing and saw how disappointing it was. But what I'm really trying to say here is that sometimes, not always, the desire of our hearts Outside of the kingdom, our heart's expectations, they get so built up in our minds that they, we think they will change our lives. We think this thing is going to change the way I live. If only, if only I had this. When the reality is, is that they're all wrong for us and will harm us. And furthermore, our perception of who God is sometimes can shape our response to his provision for us. I think we often assume that God is waiting for us to screw up so he can take away any kind of comfort we have and rub it in our faces. Ah, I was just waiting for you. I knew you were going to screw up. That's how we see God. I knew you were going to make that mistake. I knew you were going to say that dumb thing. Or he's withholding from us because he doesn't want us to have nice things. And Jesus' next commands in his passage right here are, are don't worry, don't be afraid. But if God is waiting to pounce on us like a hungry lion, how can we not be afraid, right? Because this is not who we know God to be. This is not who we know. We saw earlier that you are valuable to God. And then in verse 32, it says, it is your father's great pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to give us things. Don't worry. We don't worry. We're not afraid because it's God's pleasure to bless us, to give you the kingdom. That is good news. The bad news is, is that we're so fixated on a problem of greed that we, we tend to see those things in the, the rich people. That The rich people over there, they need that, but I don't need that. 
And we don't realize that anything can be an idol and take the place of kingdom in our divided hearts. What an idol is, is anything that's more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what he can only give. And that's why sometimes getting your heart's desire, your heart's deepest desire is often a disaster and leads to more fear and anxiety. In the book of Romans, Paul wrote that one of the worst things that could happen to someone is that God gives them over to the desires of their hearts. And wow, why would that be? Why would be getting our heart's desire, why would uh, getting our fondest dream be a terrible punishment for us? Because our hearts fashion these desires into idols, and it leads to death. Every human, we have to, every human lives for something. That's how we're built. And this was what we're reflecting on today, but I, I think we need to understand, and I think we need to ask ourselves, where are our desires leading us? Where are our heart's desires? Where is it leading you? To fear? To anxiety? Or to the hope we know Jesus is? And all this doesn't mean that God doesn't want good things for us or to give good things to us. But I think it's safe to say that sometimes we blur the lines in this area. And we have much to, at stake here, but most of it isn't even physical. And back to our original thought, I think we, we think that God is withholding the keys of the kingdom from us when in reality we're rejecting the keys for uh, waiting for something better. And that better usually is our greed. And I can say that flippantly because it's true. It's true of me, it's true of you, it's true of all of us. Jesus warns people far more often about greed than about sexual immorality. And yet, almost none of us thinks we're guilty of it. So we should all begin with a working hypothesis that this could easily be a problem for me. If greed hides itself so deeply, no one should be confident that it's not a problem for them. And this is why it's so important. It's so important, don't miss this church, to have our eyes fixed on Jesus and his kingdom and why we find our value in him. We don't have room in our divided hearts. We don't have room, and that's why our hearts ache so much when things draw us away from him. The further away from God we get, the more fear and anxiety and worry start to crop up in our hearts. And don't get me wrong, again, I'm not saying it's terrible to want things. It's not meant to be a guilt trip, but it's wanting things more than God that's in the balance here. Last week, Pastor Ed quote, quoted from Romans, if God gives us his son, will he not give us all things? This week we read, it's God's pleasure to give you the kingdom. And we often read in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave. And from that remark, we, we come to the conclusion that God is a giving God. Well, we don't have to rely on John 3, 16 alone to make this declaration. We see it. He is a rewarder. And the best thing he gives is himself. What's better than peace? What's better than love? What's better than the pureness of knowing that you're in God's arms? We have to get this mindset. He's beyond material wants and needs. 
And we can see more of, our, more of Christ in our lives when we get the kingdom keys that change our mindset and we begin to shine glory, God's glory in our lives because we are in full pursuit of Him and His desires. And that is pureness, that is goodness, that is righteousness, that is generosity, that is selflessness. And that is all things that are God and not of us manifesting in us because we abide in his kingdom. Do you catch that? What comes with kingdom? Provision. Absolutely. We see this. Provision comes with the kingdom, but also authority. In Matthew 6, 9 through 13, the Lord's Prayer teaches us to expect kingdom on earth. Digging deeper into that concept teaches us that when we're fully focused on the kingdom of God, we are fully focused on God, right? Simple, simple as that. Things become trivial, and he no longer is a, a genie God in our minds granting our wishes and desires because we trust in who he is and his provision for us. It's a trade-off. Our tiny, petty, little kingdoms for his. You ready to make that trade? Our tiny, petty, little kingdoms for his. When we do this, we can have full hearts, not divided. Where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. You ready for this to get good? You still love me? No. <laughs> Jesus' next commands are, sell your possessions and give. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven. Okay, first off, this is not a shakedown. Okay, so get that out of your head. This is not a commandment to liquidate all personal possessions uh, since we see elsewhere in the Bible that uh, believers own property. When I was younger, I thought that to be a good Christian, I had to wear a burlap sack and eat locusts like John the Baptist and like sit in the dirt all day. I thought that was like what a good Christian was. I was completely wrong. And, and this only means, what this, what this passage means, what this concept is, is that recognizing everything we have is God's and should serve Him and His people. We as believers are responsible for meeting the needs of others, and especially here in church. That's where it starts. This is a mindset, not, and, and it comes with a call to action. We begin to catch this concept, and we, when, when we do, we can't help but respond. From generous hearts flows generosity. But we don't gain generous hearts by keeping clenched fists. We become more like Christ when we are giving people. Francis of Assisi said, Remember that when you leave this earth, you can take with you nothing you have received, only what you have given. A full heart enriched by honest service, love, sacrifice, courage, and faith. So basically, if we surrender our lives to Christ's authority, we can't lose. Can I pause for a moment? Um, I just, uh, this is kind of weighing on my heart, and I just want you guys to know that Christians are really odd folk. All right, uh, we're, we'll get back on track in a moment, but Christians are really odd folk. You guys use some weird words, okay? I say you guys and like leaving myself out of it. We're weird, we use weird words, okay? 
Um, have you ever heard someone in prayer ask for a hedge of protection around? Have you, has anyone ever heard that? None of you have heard that? I, I'm guilty of it, okay? I've prayed for a hedge of protection. But then I've thought about it for a moment. Because I've thought, like, if a thief comes or a robber comes with a gun, all right, and I'm like, hedge of protection! And, like, these plants come around me, that's not going to do me any good. I'm like, all right, give me plants, Lord. Like, no, I want, like, a wall or, like, a bulletproof bubble, right? Give me that. I don't want any of that plant nonsense. We like to use words that, are, that feel nice and sound good and sound spiritual. Like, you guys can keep using that. That's fine. You can pray for hedge protection. I'm praying for walls, all right? I'm praying for, I'm praying for walls. Yeah, tra traveling mercies. You heard that one too, I'm sure. But I say, this, I say this because I think that Christians often abuse the word submit over the word surrender. All right, I like submit. I like it. Submitting is tough, but surrender, oh man, forget about it. Surrender sounds like losing. It gets a bad rap. It sounds like losing, and no one wants to be a loser. It's no wonder it's so hard for us to surrender to God, because our rationality tells us that surrendering, surrendering to God may not work in our favor. But good. That's good. Our idea of favor usually is way off base. But don't miss this. Surrendering our lives to Jesus isn't an oath to perfection or giving up entirely. It's a statement of allegiance. Outside this is only divided hearts. And this is where we need to take a hard stance. It's not a wavering line when it comes to our faith and allegiance to Christ. What assurances does this give us? Well, this passage tells us that we have eternal treasure. Well, that's not, this is, this is incredible. Please don't miss this. It's not enough that our generous, amazing, awesome, wonderful God gives us himself and that we can partake in his presence every day. It doesn't have to just be here. We can partake in his presence every day. He doesn't say, he said, that's not enough. I'm giving you more. I'm giving you more. I am giving you a bonus. Jesus tells us to store up treasures for ourselves in heaven. See, there's more afterwards. There's more after this life. And we're storing up treasures there. Earlier in this passage, Jesus warns about storing up treasures for ourselves without being rich towards God. The result there is death. The alternative God offers is life. And the matter is not whether or not we're storing up treasures for ourselves. Are we surrendering all to Jesus? Do you get this? It's surrendering it to him who is vastly better than anything we could possibly imagine. When I was younger, we used to sing a hymn in church called, I Surrender All. Anybody remember that song, I Surrender All? I just want to read a couple of lyrics and then we're going we're gonna to sing that together. I think it's appropriate for us to sing before we, we close out. And this is what the lyrics say. It says, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. 
all to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus, take me now. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me Savior, wholly thine. Let me feel the Holy Spirit truly know that thou art mine. All to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give myself to thee. Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessings fall on me. All to Jesus I surrender. Now I feel the sacred flame. Oh, the joy of full salvation. Glory, glory to his name. Let's sing this together. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Sing it with me, church. for being with us on this podcast of Victory Church Philadelphia. Because this is being posted at the time of the coronavirus outbreak, we're not able to meet in large gatherings in person. So we're taking the opportunity to relaunch our regular podcasts. You can expect new sermons to be posted by Tuesday of each week, and we'll also be going back into the archives for messages that will be posted on Thursdays. If this message has been a blessing to you, We'd be most thankful if you would like it and then share our podcast with others. You can find out more about Victory Church Philadelphia online at www.getvictory.net or if it's easier for you, just Philly 
www.thepeopleofgod.church. There you can share your prayer requests with us, and we really will pray for you personally, individually. And you can also let us know if you've recently chosen to follow Christ so we can send a Bible to you. Or if you've been blessed by our ministry and want to help us reach and serve even more people, you could make a donation. We are a church that loves God. We love and serve our community, and we're here to bless you. Stay connected and stay tuned in for some exclusive interviews and content in coming days and weeks. In the meantime, be blessed. 